Welcome to Unaddiction, the podcast. My name is Dr. Nzinga Harrison. I'm a board-certified psychiatrist with a specialty in addiction medicine and co-founder and chief medical officer of Eleanor Health. On this podcast, we explore the paths that can lead to addiction and the infinite paths that can lead to recovery. Our guests are sharing their own experiences, the tools that have helped them along the way, and the formulas that allow them to thrive in recovery one day at a time. Hey, y'all, welcome to this week's episode of Unaddiction, the podcast. Um, I knew as soon as we were going to do a podcast that I wanted Joseph Green, an award-winning spoken word artist, educator, and person in sustained recovery to join us on the show. He advocates for and inspires those overcoming the disease of substance use disorder through his keynote speeches and workshops, and he's created and facilitated numerous programs for youth across the country, including through his role at the Mentor Foundation U.S. I met Joseph when we were both in a documentary called Tipping the Pain Scale and was immediately captured, not just by his spoken word talent, but uh, by the way his humanity shone through in the film, and also when I had the opportunity to meet him in person. So welcome, Joseph, to the podcast. Go ahead. I was going to say thank you for answering the question, how are you, for real? Because we're conditioned not to answer that question for real, and we walk around with a lot of pain, and we miss a lot of opportunity to be supported by people because we're conditioned into not answering that question for real. So I was just saying thank you. Sometimes I'll ask people, I'll be like, hey, how you doing? And they're like, I'm fine. And I'm like, how are you for real, for real? And then fine is yeah. not the answer. Um, yeah. So yeah, thank you for no, being real. It's interesting you say that. I, I think I'm reflecting on that process now. And I think it stems partially from the fact that we are kind of trained to say something. Mm when we're around other people and we don't always know what to say. And so, you know, the colloquial interaction is how you doing? What's good? You know, and you don't mean it Mm -hmm. asking it sometimes. Right. Right. And so, you know, that you don't always mean it when you ask it Mm -hmm. and you never know. It's hard to trust that the person is actually asking, you know, and uh, (laughs) some of the funniest like comedic bits are about like that moment where you ask someone a question and they go like way too far in the explanation. No, (laughs) no, no. no. It's just supposed to be like a, like a real quick one too. You know, definitely. I I know you're at the bank teller and people are talking to you all day. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So yeah, no, it's uh, I I think it's, um, it's a practice that I'm trying to get into, Mm. Uh, you know, if I don't want to know, I think I'm trying to get to a space where I'm just saying hello. Mm, yes. Instead of asking. Yeah. Instead of asking, because I, I do it. I do it all the time. And like in, in passing and like, and I think there's generationally, I notice a difference because like my pop generation, especially like Southern folk, mm-hmm. like they expect to get into conversations, right? If you say, hi, how you doing? What's good? Like you stopping for a few That's moments right. to chat. That's right. Right. And so you do, I'll do it now and with the older brand, I'll be walking past somebody and like, what's good? How you doing? And they start a sentence and I'm already like three steps Girl. past them. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's important to, um, as a, as, especially as a wordsmith, as somebody who claims to craft words in an intentional way to really think about 
that. Yeah. No, I, I think it's, you know, it's one of those small things that's actually quite big. Um, and I think it's a bit of a gift to be working on because I know if you ask me, then you're asking me. Mm. Right. So I'm going to take on this mm. challenge too, because I could certainly be like, hey, good to see you instead of, hey, how are you? Right. Like, hey, good to yeah. see you is not a question and I'm keeping it pushing. But if I ask, how yeah. are you? I'm actually I have the time to be here present with you to hear how you are. Yeah. 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 I like that. Well, thank you. You just gave it to me. So <laughs> I just took it. Um, well, then let's jump in. This is Joseph Green. It's so funny. We've only ever met once and been in a documentary together. Um, but I immediately thought of you as a person whose voice I knew I for sure wanted people to hear um, on the podcast. So this is on Addiction, the podcast. I'm Dr. Nzinga Harrison. Um, thrilled to be joined here uh, by Joseph Green, whose spirit and humanity shines through is the way I would say I experienced you. It's, um, it's interesting you say that. Uh, when I first saw the trailer mm. to the film, I was sure that you were going to be a bigger part of it than you ended up being like the, the, as a whole, mm. because what you said was such an encapsulation of what I think they were going for. And maybe you were too concise for your own good, as far as like hey, the final cut. Concise room floor is was not concise. my strength. Okay. That was like the <laughs> yeah. nicest thing anybody uh, said to me today. It was, it was, it was, it was such a, it landed in a way that I think when I finally did get to meet you in, in Vegas, that I was more excited than I probably should have been based on how much I actually knew about you as a person. Uh, and I, I, I met your husband that day uh -huh. also. And I think, you know, there's this family and then there's people in the world who you feel have a similar way mm. of seeing the world as you. And there's an instantaneous, like, I'm, I, I know you and I'm, I'm, I, I think that we're fighting for the same thing. Uh, and like the details don't need to get worked out right now. We're cool. This is going to come back around again at some point. And I'm, I'm happy that it did. I'm happy that you're doing this. Um, I do have a question about this. Okay, Can I ask let's you a question go. about this. Yeah. He was like, let me turn me let the, me turn the tables. <laughs> let me turn around and welcome to your own show. No. Uh, can you can you just tell me the title? Explain the title to me. Why you why you went with unaddiction? Well, I would love to. So um unaddiction is a word that we made up. So the book is available now for pre-sale. You can actually have it in your hands in January. Um, and as I was writing the book. Uh, you know, like putting the heart and soul into understanding what addiction is, what puts you at risk for addiction, developing it in the first place, not having it get better, having it ruin people's lives. And so we said we wanted this to be unaddiction, which is what do we need to unlearn that we think we know about addiction? What are the stigmas that we need to undo? And what are the conversations that we need to uncover 
if we're really going to get our arms around the pain and suffering that is this addiction crisis. And so it was like, we got things to unlearn. We got stigmas to undo. We got conversations to uncover. And it was like, oh, this book is about un-addiction. So that's how we came there to it. Go. And awesome. you preempted because at the end of every episode, I ask our guest if there's one thing you want our listeners to unlearn or one stigma that you want our listeners to work towards undoing or one conversation that you want our listeners to uncover, what is it? But that's at the end. Uh-uh, I see your mouth. Okay, so you mouth. don't want my answer now. You want me to hold on to it? Like you're about to give the answer right now. <laughs> oh, that's no, I'll hold end. on to it. I'll hold on to it. <laughs> hold on to it. I'll hold on to that. Y'all going to have to wait for that. That's right. You got to wait for that. So yeah. tell us, Joseph. So the film that we were talking about is called um, Tipping the Pain Scale. It's this incredible documentary. Um, and Joseph and I were both in it. I was a talking head. He was a human real person with lived experience. <laughs> um, and we met each other in person on kind of like a, a, a screening. And so Joseph, can you tell our listeners who you are, how you came to be who you are and what your life is these days? Is that the first and only question or should I keep it tight? No, Keep it as loose. <laughs> let, let keep it, it as let loose it as you let it run. <laughs> okay. Uh, I am a father. Mm. Henry and August mm-hmm. are my boys. I am a partner. Um, Angelique is my wife. Mm-hmm. I am the son of Henry and Helen Green of Chester, South Carolina, and Charles City, Virginia. I am a narrative disruptor, uh, which is a title that I gave myself, but I hope I'm living up to. Kuji Chagulia. Say that. Say again. Kuji Chagulia. Name ourselves, define ourselves, and speak for ourselves. Narrative disruptor. There you go. I have lived a very blessed life, even with some of the strife mm. and pain that I've experienced. And and by that, I mean, I don't think my existence is that far away from many people, mm. save the lessons and mentors that have allowed me to have a different perspective on some of the things that I've gone through and some of the things that I've witnessed, uh, allowing me to use my story and my narrative to disrupt harmful stories and narratives about mm-hmm. people who share similar spaces as I do. And it's something that I take very seriously. Uh, so I'm a storyteller mm-hmm. and my story personally doesn't even start with me as none of our stories start with ourselves. My story goes back generations and is influenced by many people in my family. Uh, I like to think of how the sacrifices my grandmother specifically made mm. turned into the sacrifices my parents were able to make, which turned into the privilege that I am now capable to use to try to continue the good work um, of, of many generations of my family that have been resilient and fought back 
but still known and been able to share joy uh, in the face of dark times, mm. um, hard times. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say dark times, hard times. Um, so I grew up in a military family, and I think that did a few things for me. Um, it helped me learn how to say goodbye and hello quickly and effectively. Oh. You know, I when you're a military kid, you have if you're going to have friends, you're going to have to learn how to meet people. Um, I went to five different elementary schools, wow. and so before we settled down, and so that is something where I, even though I have a lot of anxiety, I can walk into spaces and I've been able to create tools that create connectivity. Mm. And that even before I could use that language, like I'm using now to mm-hmm. explain it, I didn't know what I was doing. I was surviving. I was trying to, um, to, to have what I think humans instinctually want, which is to connect with other people. Absolutely. Uh, and then also the goodbye part, which is, I think for me, something that I've always been trying to find balance with. It's okay to let go, but sometimes I let go too much. And mm. there are people who I wish I would have held on to closer and things that I wish I would have held on to closer. Mm. Um, and so not what it could have shooting that space, but more trying to use it as a reflection for when I have the opportunity again you know, I can be intentional about that space, um, knowing how I felt about how things have gone in the past. Uh, I grew up in a household with uh, a father who was um, an alcoholic. And I think I bring that up in this space for a couple of reasons. One, obviously, there is some tinge of the fact that we're going to be talking about substance use sure. in this in this space. But um, I think I'm I more want to sort of represent the lack of tools my father was given growing mm. up to deal with the amount of pain and trauma yes. that he went through. Um, you know, coming from the South uh, during the Great Migration, his father dying when he was 10, mm. um, and his mother doing whatever it took to, you know, keep the family going. Uh, he was at South Carolina State University in 1968 when there was... Um, uh, an uprising of students and uh, a murder by the local police of three individuals on that campus, one of which was his close friend. Um, and then he was drafted into Vietnam. Mm. And so, uh, and while he did not see direct combat, just being a black man drafted into the military Absolutely. in 1968 um, and all of that brought with it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm not surprised that that's what he leaned on mm-hmm. because that's what people leaned on. Mm-hmm. You lean on the crutch that you're given. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that crutch holds you while you heal. And sometimes that crutch becomes a permanent part of your existence until it breaks. Mm. Right. And uh, his crutch broke when I was 16. And that's when he was lucky enough to get into recovery, wise enough, lucky enough, blessed enough. Uh, and unfortunately, not in enough time for me to be able to learn from his recovery. And so it became a part of who I was also, even though I you know, lived in a nicer time, um, there was a lot of pain and strife and mm-hmm. racial trauma based on where I grew up, like things from my childhood that I didn't have a language to explain. Mm-hmm. And 
and un, two undiagnosed mental illnesses that also as a part of the upbringing of two very poor parents, you know, you don't really have time for emotion. You got to go to yeah. work, da, 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 da. And if you are dealing with something, you're not dealing with it in a way that other people see it. Right. So. And the cultural underpinnings, a lot of times people are not open to seeing that or the stigma even prevents the ability to try to open up about it. Yeah. And I, I and I think that's, I think shame. For sure. Right. And when we think about the, 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 the role of stigma, it is sort of the manifestation of shame. Right. And yep. It, it, it's it's in all aspects of our life, unfortunately, the the desire to not um, be embarrassed or called mm-hmm. out or um, seen as weak or whatever it is. And yeah, and, and you, you have a very, a very pride, prideful people mm-hmm. right, who have gone through and survived so much and surviving being a part of our identity. It seems like you should be able to just figure it out mm-hmm. or in our case, give it up to Jesus. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's funny, you asked me that question at the beginning that's going to be at the end. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like, yep, I want to talk about that. And I want to talk about that. Do and it. Like, these, these are some things Do we it. need to undo. Talk about all of it um, right so now. I'm, just, I'm, try, I'm trying to hold on to, ah, to the one that I'm going to like unravel at the yeah, end. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, <laughs> let the rest uh, flow. No, let the rest flow. Yeah, I, I think that it's... Um, it is it it's all played a part though because even now when i think about what i do a lot of that performer in me came from church mm. right seeing how people were able to invoke emotion and feeling using parables and stories and attaching them to moral lessons and you know when mm-hmm. it was done really really good mm-hmm. um and even before I knew I was listening to great storytellers, I've been receiving great stories from the get, right? Um, and in different styles, because we were a military family. Sometimes we went to church on base. Sometimes we went to church um, and, and, you know, our church homes in Chester and Charles City. And I just got this, you know, plethora of learning on how to connect with people and and to get them to move mm-hmm. right or to or to feel moved mm-hmm. and 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 all of those things start to sink into who you are and i think you know my rebellion against family also ended up being a rebellion against organized religion um and i got into spoken word poetry and that is his own church sure. uh, of sorts. We, you know, uh, the, the, the whole idea, the same thing is happening. Different morals, different rules, different values being displayed. But we're trying to invoke. We're trying to move people. We're trying to connect. Um, and we are naming ourselves and we're naming our feelings and we're naming the things around us in the world that we want to see changed or better. Um, and I've spent many, 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 many years in those spaces at open mics hosting mm-hmm. and all of that sort of culminating with uh, a life dedicated to, to youth development into this space where I am right now, which is um, as someone who is still cultivating his own ability to tell a story, but mm-hmm. more concerned about creating a world where other people can use story in the same way that I have as far as 
the intentional reflection, the filling in of our past so that we feel less in chaos about our future. Mm -hmm. Understanding that we all have legacies that we've been building and that maybe our preoccupation with entertainment or other people's stories have gotten us to forget how precious and important our own story is. Mm. And I think also maybe above all of that is the realization that while there are things that happen to us, that ultimately we have the opportunity to be the primary authors of our own character and our own story based on how we teach ourselves to respond to the things that happen mm. to us. I want to um, dive I want to dive into this yeah. because I hear you pulling forward a thread that I thought was a really beautiful way you described your father at the beginning which was he was never given the tools to deal with all of the pain and suffering and I don't think you used the word trauma but I'll use the word trauma here that he experienced in his life and I hear you talking about, and um, you mentioned it quickly, but I want to make sure to pull it out, the work that you do with youth and helping them be the author of their own story, because that's part of the pain and suffering and trauma, right? When you don't have the skills, you're just along for the ride. But when you are fortunate enough to have someone who can give you some skills then you can pick up the pen and you can start writing the story either in advance of or in response to the experiences that you have. So can we dig deeper into that youth work that you're doing and how giving them the pen, I know it's the proverbial pen, but right, like giving mm -hmm. them the proverbial pen to write their own stories helps to try to equip them in a way your father was not equipped and in a way your father was not equipped to equip you. Yeah. Um, I'll say this. Uh, I'll start with, for context, I am a person in long-term recovery. Mm -hmm. And the height of my active use was in, when I was living in upstate New York. And it was in between a time where I was a theater student and then dropped out of theater because that's not what I wanted to do with my life. Picked up spoken word poetry and started competing and, and touring and then landed in upstate New York, which was a beautiful place that I was, I made it to way too early in life. Like it was not enough stuff going on uh -huh. now. Like as I'm getting closer to like retirement, it looks beautiful back then. Idle hands. Right. And so, uh, First I went of all, up there are for you like 25 years old talking about retirement, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I'm um for the audience I'm 42. <laughs> uh it don't it don't it don't crack until it breaks. <laughs> um, uh and you go from, you know, uh Denzel 42 to, to 82, right. <laughs> it's just like, it's like, it's like you were Morgan. you were just 35. You were 35 2 days ago and how are you Morgan Freeman? Um you know, and it's funny now because I'm so old at this point that like even the Denzel joke doesn't hit with a certain generation because <laughs> right, right. we're all thinking of the same Denzel, but not the one that was right. just an equalizer three. Right. Um, exactly. Yeah. But I'm sorry. Um, go ahead. No, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> uh, up until I got into recovery and I ended up about a year in recovery, losing a friend of mine. 
mm-hmm. a close friend of mine from upstate New York, uh, that I ever really understood what writing could be used for, mm. what it what it meant, what it could mean to me. Um, up until that point, I had you know I was I wanted to be famous. I wanted to you know I went from being an actor to doing spoken word poetry. Fast forwarding to this space where I'm going up to New York for my friend's funeral mm. and I have an opportunity after the funeral or a, a crossroads, if you will, a, a place in life where a, I think a big choice. I don't, and I didn't understand how big it was until many years later. Mm. But after the funeral, I could have gone back to the bar where we all lived for many years and where I knew everybody would be. And I could have done what is an unfortunate um, practice or habit in a community of active use, which is trying to fill in the hole of a loss Mm -hmm. with the same thing that took the person, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, That person was in pain and they were trying to deal with their pain. Mm -hmm. You're in pain now. And for me, having been uh, a year into uh, the sobriety from my drug of choice, I knew that there was a really good chance that if I had tried to do the amount of drugs equal to the hole in my chest from his loss, I probably would have, I could have lost my life also. And so instead I went back to the hotel and I wrote a poem. And when I'm sharing this story with young people now, I, I, I show them that it's not about the thing. It's not about what your poetry is. It's about having something that when the phones don't answer mm-hmm. and the, 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 the music doesn't connect and the, 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 the people aren't there for you in the way that you need them to be there for you, what is that thing that you can go through mm-hmm. or go to to get through what you're, you know, and so I, I said, in, that, in this case, poetry saved my life, mm-hmm. right? And I try to share with the young people that I work with in these spaces, whether it be when I was doing the after school creative writing clubs and the spoken word clubs, or now as I'm going around talking about prevention and recovery, like what is your poetry? Like, what is the thing that you know right now gets you through a hard time? Because I can guarantee you more hard times are coming. So how do we mm-hmm. start developing these tools intentionally, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that when it does happen, because I get this, you know, people say this all the time. I had nothing to do. I didn't know what to do with my hands. I didn't know what to do with the pain. I didn't know. what. And but if I ask you, like, what's your favorite thing to do on a rainy day? And you're like, read a book right or 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 play outside in the rain or go for a hike or what you know like you can list things that you do instinctually and so needless to say i wrote the poem 
I come back to Northern Virginia and it had been a while since I'd done spoken word poetry in public because I was having a problem. I think it let a lot of folks in art do when they get into recovery of separating their use from their creation. Uh And so I I hadn't created anything that I thought was worth sharing for a while, but I had this new poem and I wanted to share it. I got my first feature at a space in the area and I shared the poem and in the audience was a woman who runs, who ran a after-school program for foster students, students that are in foster care. So mm-hmm. where they go in between. And she was like, Hey, come read your poem and tell your story to these young people. And no one had ever asked me to do that before. Like as a poet, if you see my catalog before this poem and after this poem, you know, this is, this is a, a extraordinarily vain person who doesn't quite have his moral bearings in the world right? Mm. He's talented. The words sound good, but like Mm. the things that he's grasping at are shallow at best. Mm. And so no one ever asked you to tell me more about the shallow poem you wrote, right? But when you, when I emoted in this particular way, it was like, hey, you shared something that I know these young people can connect with. Would you be willing and to come in to show them that they are not alone and what they're feeling? You moved in the spirit. Yeah. And so they they brought me in and I, I sat down and first I tried to be a performer because I was insecure <laughs> and I wanted to, them to clap for me and think I was good at what I did. And then they started asking me questions and it became a conversation and I took my cool off and they took their shields off because mm-hmm. when you're that kind of young person in that kind of space gone doing, having gone through what they had gone through, you carry a lot of armor with you for sure um and especially from random people that come in who act like they have something you need Mm -hmm. right um that 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 sends off signals Mm -hmm. for folks Mm -hmm. uh, warnings and so i i realized in that moment and you know i've been able to reflect on this thousands of times since but i I think instinctually in that moment i realized that if i really wanted to connect with people i would have to learn how to connect with myself first right i'd have to be able to offer them something authentic if I wanted something authentic in return. Yeah. And I I think I ran maybe a little too fast at first into writing about who I really was and my feelings and, and things of that sort. And I say really fast, maybe a little too fast because I probably could have used a little bit of therapy also. um, So I didn't put all of it into that space. Um, But nonetheless, I, I realized I had something and I realized that there were other people, young people that needed that something Mm -hmm. also. Mm -hmm. And so with zero experience at the beginning, um, a friend, a now really close friend was like, hey, come and talk to my students after school. They want to do a poetry club. And 36 clubs, six years, uh, hundreds of open mics, um, tournament scholarships, yada, yada, yada later. you know, and, and some training now, uh-huh. <laughs> some, some actual training. Um, I, I, I come to this place where I understand that, and I lost my way for a moment, that the, the, but the thing that I'm giving them is not the ability to be good performers, right? It's the, the process of writing. There's just two things that are happening. Um, one, you are tuning into your past self because you can't create anything that wasn't, that isn't already a part of you. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And you are also, when you're doing it well, I think 
you're freeing yourself by forgiving yourself before you even make a mistake that you might be embarrassed by and allowing yourself to get into a flow state Mm -hmm. where you are becoming a vessel for all of that thought and wisdom and training and life experience. And so when people ask me and, you know, people ask me flippantly sometimes back in the day, especially when I was, you know, out really a disciple of spoken word poetry and poetry workshops, like, does the world really need more poets? Uh, And my response to folks is I'm not trying to create a world of more poets. I'm trying to create more poetically minded people. Mm. Right. Because when I sit back and I write, I, I practice self-forgiveness. I practice reflection. And then I practice the ability to pull reason from the things that have happened to me so that I get to choose what I learned from this lesson, um, from this thing that happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, one of the, one of the things that have always, one of the quotes that I think has always bothered me that platitudes that people throw around is that everything happens for a reason. Mm -hmm. And, and that's great if that's what you believe. And if you are able to stop at that, as you're like, all you need to be satisfied in the universe is to know that things happen for a reason. Cool. I don't think most people are like that. Mm. And I feel that most people walk away from that statement feeling unsatisfied. Mm. And so when I say poetically minded people, people who can reflect and 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 think forward it's no matter whether or not you believe things happen for a reason it is our responsibility to pull reason from the things that happen oh say have to that again learn Joseph. whether or not you believe things happen for a reason it is our responsibility to pull reason from the things that happen mm, I felt and that's that. how we yeah and that's how we 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 build our rudder, right? This is how we start to understand that I have a place in things that happen to me, even if I didn't want those things to happen to me, mm-hmm. right? Like like the the moment the initial thing happens, I if I'm practicing mindfulness, if I'm practicing intention, if I'm practicing uh, the uh, e- emotional um, maturity, uh, I am giving myself the ability to to respond in a way that is in sync with the best version of myself or the version of myself that I want, want to be, be when yeah. there aren't stressful things happening. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so and that's a practice and that's what, yeah, go ahead, please. I know I've been no, chatting. I've no, been no, 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 it's a practice. And <laughs> so it's like, what's beautiful about your work and um, what I think is like 2.0 on an addiction. The book is, how do we equip our young people, especially, but also ourselves as no longer the youngest members of the human race um, to find the reason in the things that happen? And so I'm definitely not getting paid, although people will think I am, but this PQ program that I'm doing, because I talk about it all the time, I've like become a PQ evangelist. And it talks about the sage mindset, sounds a lot about what you were saying. There's acceptance. The sage mindset approaches hardship in two ways, acceptance, which is everything happens for a reason, or acceptance and convert it to an opportunity or a gift, which is the next step that you're teaching the young people to take, right? Find the reason in the thing that happened and learn from it 
what you want to learn from it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love that. And I think, so I think the, the part of it that I've, I've, I, I've added in there, I think is, is a response to, I feel, I feel that when people are looking for the motivation to change or the, the courage to face something difficult mm-hmm. or the ability to work through a, a trauma or, or, or mental health issue, um, that the sound bitiness of the world throws out certain things yes. without making them tangible. Right. And so, you know, coming from a church background, it tends to stop with give it to Jesus. Everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. God has a plan. Mm-hmm. Great. I don't want to isolate those people. Right. But there's that that old parable or story that someone tells, and I've, I've heard it a dozen times, a dozen different ways, but like a guy's in the middle of uh, the boat crashes and he's on a raft and uh, a guy comes by on a boat and is like, hey, do you want to ride? He's like, no, oh. I trust God. God, I'm waiting for God. And then like right. the Navy comes by and they're like, <laughs> the do you want to pick us up? No, no, no. I'm waiting for God. <laughs> God's got me. And then like he uh, eventually he just dies of starvation. He yeah. gets up to heaven and God was like, um, he, he was mad at God. He's like, why didn't you come and save me? He's like, I sent you a, a, a raft. I sent mm-hmm. you the Navy. Mm-hmm. I sent you all of these things. The, the understanding, the acceptance of the hardship of existence is only half. Mm. It's like saying recovery is equal to sobriety. Mm. And and it's not right. Like the sobriety is a tool in my recovery. Mm-hmm. My recovery is trying to live every day the best version of myself. And the best version of myself needs to live and love and laugh and risk and be able to get out in the world and mm-hmm. connect again mm-hmm. and get over the 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 things that I thought I needed the crutch of the substance to to deal with. But if I just am dealing in the un negative space mm-hmm. right of not doing a thing right then i'm 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 i put myself in a box and what i really want to do is put the substance in a box and then i want to live in the infinite space that's around it oh that gave me chills not, you know what i mean i love it i love it <laughs> yeah. i love it all right listen first of all this conversation went too fast which i knew that it would because even when you're just talking you just sound like a, a narrative disruptor like you're just like laying the words down and my ears are like yes more um and my soul and my spirit but the time has come joseph you have already taught us so many things to unlearn so many things to think about undoing so many conversations to uncover but you're gonna leave us with one and what is it Um, a little bit of context real quick, just mm-hmm. for, uh, before we started, before we press record, I let you know that my father had passed mm-hmm. away. Um, this is the first real work thing I've done since I just, the funeral was a day ago. And so I've been thinking about parenting, mm-hmm. you know, I, my oldest son lives in New Mexico with his mothers and he was here for the funeral and I just put him on the plane to go back this morning and I, I sat in the in the uh, the parking lot outside of the the airport and mm-hmm. 
wept. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a cleansing, right? It was, it was a good thing. I, it was just so much emotion and so many things. And I needed to get past that swelling. And a thought came into my head about parenting. And I think that I would like to share that yes. um, as my, my moment today. And it's, it's about the difference between questioning yourself and intentional reflection. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of times when we're in these high pressure spaces, and what high what higher pressure space than that of a parent, the guiding of a person's life okay. and a people's lives. And we are trained, I think, maybe through Western culture or whatever it is, that like we have to be decisive and we can't mm-hmm. second guess ourselves. Cause if we start questioning ourselves, then the the people who are following us are going to start questioning themselves. And then we're just going to be a, a, a society that that doesn't, you know, is not decisive and doesn't get things done because there's so many questions. And and when I think about how I want to show up for my children, I have to reflect on how I've shown up for my children, mm. right? I have mm-hmm. to look back at those moments and say, not I wish I would have done that better, but could I have done that better? Mm. Not because I did it bad, but because my commitment is to being the best parent I can be. Mm. And in the same way a football player would go back and look at film of a performance that happened in the past, look at the tapes. What was your foot right? What could you have done better in that route? The same thing I think we should do with ourselves. If we love ourselves and if we are acting in love for the people that have either by just sheer, they got, you brought them here on this planet or you work with them or however it is, if there's love for that person, that partner, those people, it is our responsibility Mm. to look back at how we've acted and find better ways to exist. Even if it's just an inch further, that's an inch of a gift that we're giving to the people around us. And the more we can give them, the more we can open ourselves up to receive from them. And that is the kind of world that I want to live in, in the kind of world I want to, to give my children. Beautiful. Thank you. That's what's on my heart today. Thank Uh, you. I receive it. I receive every bit of it. So thank you for joining us in celebration of your father and in healing of using your gifts to feel the hole that I know is left, but the gift that can come from it. Thank you for being on with us today. Yeah. Thank you for the conversation. I loved it. It was lovely. I loved it. I loved it so much. Man. So that was an absolutely incredible conversation. And um, after we finished taping, we actually reached out to Joseph and asked if he wouldn't mind sharing with us the poem that saved his life. So you heard him reference this poem that he wrote after he lost a really close friend to drug overdose, and he sent it to us. So here it is. The last time I saw you alive, I wish 
I would have talked ugly to you. Said, put the straw down, no. I don't want to take another line. I should be writing them. My friend, you are a composer of music and magic. Instruct your limbs to serve a purpose greater than self-indulgence. Do not be fooled into thinking your pain has sharper teeth than anyone else's. I had a chance, but said nothing because I was high. This is how I got started. A bottle of Jack and a mirror. Memories and scissors. Dreams drenched in ether, sliced by razors. Potential rolled like $20 bills, numbing the feeling on the tip of my tongue that I, or this tongue, should be serving a greater purpose. And a last-ditch attempt at self-assessment, I decided to look at my life through the eyes of loved ones, for they see everything, especially the ugly. From years of drug use, from lying with to lying to angels, friends I had forsaken, taking so much more than I had given. I had streamlined self-centeredness into a science, but there was a righteousness there, a willingness to craft this illness through alchemy and poetry into a seer stone. But honestly, how could I speak ugly to you when I was yet to speak it to myself? In these nightmares of hindsight, there is no poetry, no alliterations to soften the blow. Some realities have no simile, truth is like truth. How could I form my lips to call your suicide a tragedy when I left you alone in that room, kept company by narcotics and a thousand ghosts draped in your disappointments? I can only imagine all the voices you heard, all but mine. Smear makeup onto disgust if you must trust. The truth is seldom pretty, but she is always beautiful. It is in times like these that I need you to please talk ugly to me. My pain needs it. Too many times we caress sadness when it needs to be shaken, torn from its place of comfort, forced to grow wings to survive. Don't just tell me I can grow up and be whatever I want. Tell me that whatever I want better be something I am willing to achieve, that dreams will dissipate under the weight of addiction and that there is a distinct difference between living like a rock star and actually being one. Sometimes, no matter how many poems you've written, you will feel like nothing more than an addict and a poser. Fear not. We are all divinely flawed individuals, perfectly ugly. No point in hiding behind pretty lies. We are the sum of the scars that hold together the remainder of our pretty pieces. The last time I saw you alive. The last time I saw you alive. The last time I saw you alive, I wish I would have talked ugly to you. It would have been the most beautiful thing I never said. Thank you so much for tuning in. My book, On Addiction, Six Mind-Changing Conversations That Could Save a Life, is now available for pre-order at bookshop.org, Union Square & Company, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and wherever books are sold. If you liked this episode, please share it with someone you think may need to hear it. Also, please subscribe to this podcast and leave a five-star review. That helps us reach any and everyone who may be looking for support in the face of addiction.